All right, we're going to let our kids go for Kids World. I'll say thank you again to Carrie and her leadership of our children's ministry and all of those who continue to serve there. And we're always looking for other volunteers. You are interested in finding a place to serve. The children's ministry might be one of those. That'd be great. That'd be great. And uh, you can talk to me, talk to Pastor Jason, uh, talk to Carrie if you'd like to maybe get involved in that. I want to tell you about a couple of things that are upcoming uh, before I jump in here. Uh, we've got uh, making plans for the holiday seasons already. Because uh, they will be upon us before you know it. I'm sure somebody's got the countdown going already. If you've been to the store, you know that uh, Christmas items are already out, ready for your perusal. But uh, November will see us working through a uh, series on Thanksgiving, leading up to Thanksgiving, and then we'll start Advent uh, beginning of December to lead us to uh, Christmas Eve service uh, this year. Uh, we'll enjoy that together. Planning towards that, and among those things that are happening next Sunday morning, right here, that will be the last of our Wacky Tacky October. I don't know what the theme is next week. Pajama day. Oh, hey, pajama day. Uh, some of you need to be careful with that. Don't just throw it out there. Uh, use your brains. Uh, it'll be fun. But what's going to be different about that Sunday, next Sunday morning, we need for you to join us, of course. Uh, bring a friend if you'd like. We're going to kick off right here at 10 a.m. with uh, a potluck breakfast. So you need to bring some breakfasty type foods. We're going to hang out, have some food, sing a few songs together. And then our children's ministry department is actually going to lead us, teach us in a children's ministry lesson next week. And there's a few things for that one. Uh, we are continually approaching this idea and working in ways to approach this idea that our children and our students in our youth ministry are not... Uh, appendages to the church. They are part of the church. They are part of who we are, and that's why they always are with us in worship uh, on regular Sundays. And then, uh, then we have these other things that we've done. We did Generation Praise this past uh, spring at Easter time. We're planning another one of those for Easter uh, this year, where our children's and students ministry join us as part of the worship team. Uh, so be here for that next week because there's a couple of things that that does. It, it, it it gives the message to our kids that they're part of us, that they matter to us because they're part of the larger thing and not just going off the kids' world, right? Uh, the second thing is, is for some of you who maybe have thought, well, I might be interested in children's ministry, but I don't really know what that's like. Well, you get to see what it's like for someone to actually teach and lead a lesson for the kids and how uncomplicated it really is and then how much fun it can be. I'm not sure who's going to be doing that yet. I've heard a couple of rumors. He's going to be leading that, but I'm not sure what it's going to be exactly, but it'll be a fun time together. All right, so please plan for that. Be here next Sunday. It's going to be a good time. There'll be food. Church will bring the drinks, you know, the coffee and tea, and we'll bring some juices and things like that, and water on hand. You bring some food, and let's enjoy that time together with our kids, all right? Uh, also, leading into that same conversation, talking about the, the children and their uh, part in our uh, community, uh, Karen, I think, is going to be kicking off Christmas music at the beginning of November. Is that right? November 11th, Sunday, November 11th. Uh, our children's ministry on Sundays, they will actually go for the entire service some of these Sundays and work on Christmas music because they'll be presenting a special Christmas program. 
uh, December 16th, I think it is. Um, so uh, plan to be here uh, for that with your kids. Get your kids involved. This is always a great time to get your friends of your kids involved. Uh, this is something that uh, is always uh, real popular and it's fun. The kids have a great time. I'm not sure exactly how detailed it's going to be this year, but uh, it's always a great time. Karen does a great job. She can always use help uh, doing the music stuff with the kids on Sunday mornings too. So if you're interested in that, you might come and see me. Let's talk about that. So that's coming up. They'll be working the entire month of November and some of December leading up to December 16th. That'll be exciting. Uh, and then uh, the last thing I think that I want to mention is also beginning in November, uh, our worship team will be returning to a, a regular weekly rehearsal. We've been doing all of our work on Sunday mornings and that's been fine. It's been great for us. Uh, but we've acknowledged that it leaves out some, some community time that we really like to have together as kind of a small group. But what it's also going to allow us to do is we've been, uh, you know, getting some of these new things together and some new uh, media things together uh, and expanding that multi-generational concept. Beginning in November, our student ministry, uh, 7th through 12th graders, we're going to invite some of those guys to come and actually join the worship team with us on Tuesday nights and become part of our rotating teams to lead worship with us on a regular basis here in the worship center so that, again, we're communicating to them and to everyone who shows up here that Christ Community Church is a church that's about everybody who's here and not just about adults who can lead or things like that. So I'm excited about that. We're hoping that uh, some of them have shown some interest in getting involved in the technical ministry and the media ministry. Some of them will want to sing uh, here with the worship team. And I think it's going to be a great uh, season for us. There's lots of exciting things on the horizon. There's a ton of other things I could throw at you right now, but I won't. Uh, but let me just say that uh, as we've talked about these last few weeks with some of the things that God has been doing with us and providing resources for us, doors are beginning to open to some very exciting things uh, that will continue to increase the, 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 the presence and influence of Christ in the church and the lives of people in our community and hopefully uh, enhance the church, right? So that's all good and exciting stuff. I hope that you'll plug in and be where you're supposed to be or can be and uh, plug your kids in where they can plug in and uh, it'll be a good time together, all right? Ready to go home? Is that good? Let's turn that. All right. I don't have a long word for you this morning. Well, the actual word. What was that? What was that? Was, was that Joe? Man. These last few weeks, I, there's a bit of a rabble over here on this side of the church. It usually involves my family, but you guys are infecting other people. You see how that works, Carrie? <laughs> anyway, um, the actual word itself is uh, several letters long. Uh, if I could count, it would be great. Uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven. So it's like eleven letters long. Twelve letters. Yeah, twelve. So it's actually sort of a long word, but the word I have here isn't that long. Uh, I want to give you a concept I think is just so important, and uh, and something that I. Uh, deal with and think of often because I'm a flawed individual and sometimes I have to put things in perspective, right? So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles today to Psalm chapter 106, you can go with me and I would love to share uh, some passage here with you. Psalm chapter 106. And uh, we're, tr we're trying out a new media system today. Up here it probably looks mostly the same to you. Back there it's very different for us. Um, 
And the, the good news is that's in the long term going to cost us a little bit less money. Um, and it's going to also help the worship team and people like me up here speaking a lot because we have better uh, things back here to look at. But what that also means is that our normal translation of scripture that we use, the version that we use is the ESV. That's what I have in front of me. We don't have that in the program yet because we've got to buy it. So I got a little bit different one for you this morning. It's very similar to what I have here, but the language might be a little bit different than what you're used to, uh, but it'll still give us the same message, all right? So here we go. Praise ye Jehovah, O give thanks unto Jehovah, for he is good, for his loving kindness endureth forever. And if you don't know, there might be people who know, Jehovah is the Old Testament Hebrew name for God. One of the names, there's many names that the Hebrew uses to describe who God is because he's so much more than we can conceptualize. But this is one that we find in the Hebrew. So in other translations, you might see it uh, translated as Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. So praise Jehovah for his loving kindness endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of Jehovah or show forth all of his praise? Blessed are they that keep justice and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Jehovah, with thy, the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation that I may see the prosperity of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. And I'm just going to stop you. Like uh, many psalms, this starts out with this great uh, resounding praise of the Lord and, and telling these great virtues of God, his loving kindness, his steadfastness, his blessing that is poured out upon his people. And, and if you were reading this for the first time and you start this out, you get through five verses, you're like, man, this is good, this is exciting. And then we get to verse six, and things sort of veer off into a different direction. Verse six. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Uh, the ESV says it like this. Uh, Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And right there out of this passage comes my first point, is that we today aren't any different than, than the people in this time and uh, the writer of this psalm acknowledging the truth of our existence and our problem, which is that we mess up. We mess up. We make mistakes. We sin. Right? Uh, if there's anybody in here that's sinless, uh, I'd like to take a walk over to the lake and watch you take a trip across <laughs> without a boat and not swimming, but walking on the water. Because that's what it takes, right? That's who you would be. If you're sinless, you would be that guy. And none of us are. You're going to mess up. Now, now, for goodness sakes, try not to, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Tyler had an article in the newsletter this week where, where he talked about it, that grace, God's grace isn't opposed to your effort of, of trying to be good and do good. Uh, in fact, we've talked about that passage of Scripture here where it, it says that, in fact, God intends for us to do good because from before the foundation of the world, he planned good things for us to do. 
when we find ourselves in the position of not doing those good things, often it's because we're off doing bad things. We're sinning. We're just like these people. Now, in this context, the writer is talking about specific people at a specific time. He's, he's really telling the history of the Israelites, the Jewish people, when they've both been in Egypt and then come out of Egypt. So when he says that their fathers have sinned and we have sinned, this is not an acknowledgement of an idea of a generational curse here. This is the, the, the same emphatic statement that I make, which is everybody messes up. Nobody gets out unscathed. Everybody's got the same problem. And then he goes through and he lists it. I'm not, there's like 40 verses here. I'm not going to read them all to you, but I would encourage you to go back later, like I often do. We, we do these passages here, and we talk about them, and we may pick out different sections. Go back and read it all in context. One, so that you have a better idea of the whole story, but two, so that you sort of verify that we're not uh, giving you something that's not true, right? That we're not manipulating the word in a way to get you to do or think something that the word doesn't say. We don't want to do that, and we don't do that here, uh, but we don't mind you checking up on us. I'm not worried about that, so, so do that. Uh, and it might be your opportunity to actually read the Bible, right? Remember, we talked about that uh, these last few weeks. So he goes on, he starts in verse 7, he says, um, when, when my fathers were in Egypt, they didn't even consider your wondrous works. Uh, they didn't remember the abundance of your grace or your steadfast love, but instead they rebelled. All right, so this is, remember the story, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. They're slaves of the Pharaoh. They've been there for generations. Moses has been tapped by God to lead them out and to be the one who's going to be the voice and the mouthpiece for God in this time. And so the author here, the writer here is saying, even when they were in captivity, God was still blessing them even though they were slaves because they were cared for. They had great abundance. Uh, they had food to eat, which is a theme that comes up later in this story a number of different times, the food thing. And so even before they were released from Pharaoh and had this incredible, arduous, difficult journey through the desert for 40 years, an entire generation, they had already, while they were in captivity, even though they were captives, they failed to recognize that God was caring for them. And then it goes on. So it says that they rebelled by the Red Sea. He rebuked the sea and it became dry and they didn't acknowledge it. He says that he saved them from the hand of their foe, which was Pharaoh's army coming after them. He's going to chase them down and bring them back to captivity. But the Bible tells us that God caused the waters then of the Red Sea after he parted them and the Israelites walked across on dry land. When, when God's enemies came behind them, God removed his hand and the waters rushed in and took out all of Pharaoh's army and rescued God's people and they were safe on the other side. They didn't acknowledge that. And then they came to a place, verse 12 says, and then they believed his words and they praised him. But they soon forgot. So they saw all the great things that God did. They're like, okay, yay God, that's good, thank you. And then a little while later, like, I don't even know, has God done anything for us? Maybe this sounds familiar to you in your life. But sometimes it's hard, right? We see God working and we see God's hand moving and we're like, oh, this is so good. And then things get hard or time just passes and then we're like, ah, 
not really sure. I'm not really sure he's around. He talks about them having a wanton craving in the wilderness. Uh, this is a crazy story out of uh, Numbers uh, chapter 11 that uh, you might want to go back and read. It starts with, you know, God has been giving uh, the people manna uh, from heaven. And we think of manna as bread, but manna was actually, uh, the Bible describes it as like coriander. It was like a seed that came down with the dew in the morning and laid on the grass. The people would gather it, and then it said they would take it and put it in a mortar and, and pestle. That's a a big stone grinder, and they grind it into a meal, and then they could make bread with it. And so the people were eating this, and you might remember the story, they got tired of uh, manna, and wanted something different. They were remembering, see now they're remembering the abundance they had in Egypt. They're actually saying things to Moses like, you know that in Egypt we had onions, and beets, and wheat, and all this other stuff, and we get to eat some lamb or some goat, and now all we got is this manna stuff every day. Manna, 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 manna. And then Moses gets a little irritated. His jaw gets out of joint with God. And he's like, why did you give me these people? Why did you put them on my back? I'm tired of hearing all their complaining. They're so stupid. And then God, in his wisdom, off the sea one day, there, there was this, there's this, uh, species of quail that migrates through the area where the Israelites were at the time. And they would sometimes uh, land in the plains and in the area where the Israelites were, but this was different. Uh, uh, the Bible says that uh, a wind blew up and God blew so much quail into the camp of the Israelites that they were three feet deep. Right? No worries. Three feet deep. And uh, Guess what happened after that? They were they were mad. There was so much quail. <laughs> and before that, they were greedy. And instead of taking what they needed, it says they learned they they could gather as much as ten homers, which I think if I read right, ten homers. Uh, never mind. It's a total rabbit trail. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, there's like. Each family could gather like 200 plus pounds of quail. And they did, but God wasn't happy with that because, see, God's command to them, the whole idea of the manna had been that when the manna would fall in the morning, you could gather, you gathered what you needed, and then what you didn't need would disappear, and then God would provide for you again tomorrow. And so God sent the quail to show his abundance, his power over their circumstances, say, Look, I want to take care of you. I, I really do. Watch how great I can do this. And then they were like, Oh, this is cool. We better gather so much quail because tomorrow we're probably back to the manor. And when they gathered all that quail together and they hoarded it together and they were they were greedy about it, God sent a wasting disease and a bunch of them died. Because they didn't trust it. And then it says, uh, men in the camp got jealous of Moses and Aaron and they were God's anointed people. And when that happened and this fight broke out, God caused the ground to open up and eat some of them. And then another time they lost their faith and Moses was up communing with God. He would come down from the mountain, his face would be so bright from the presence of God that the people can't look at it. Uh, Moses is so bright, I got away from the right? And he comes down 
and they've forgotten who God is while he's been away. And they've, they've, they've cast a golden ox, a golden calf to worship. And the Bible says, if they exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass, as if that could be equal to the God who rescued them from Egypt and held back the Red Sea and gave them water in the midst of the desert and fed them every morning and, and covered them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so they could see their way in the dark. That, this, that somehow this golden cat, this image made of the stuff of the earth could somehow equal the glory of God. It says that they forgot God, their Savior, who had done things in Egypt, wondrous works in the, in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. In verse 23, it says that God said then, because all of this has happened, finally there's this place where God gets to, to this place where he says, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to wipe them out. You know, I tried. Tried to listen to their complaining. I've responded with prayers. They've still not been happy. Now they're, now they're replacing me with a, an image of a, of a dumb beast that just eats the grass of the ground, the one that I made. It says, forget it. I'm just going to wipe them out. And the story here says, thankfully, that Moses stepped into the breach between the people and God and said, please don't do that. And that God relented. That God held back his hand. And even after that, after Moses had stood in place for them and held back God's wrath, says, and then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. Meaning that they began to grumble against the land that God promised, the place that he said was going to be flowing with milk and honey, where the nation would be established, they would be great rulers, they would be great people, the name of God would be shouted from mountaintop to mountaintop, and his glory would be revealed to so many people, and this was the land in which they were going to live, and he promised it to them, and they began to complain about that. They murmured in their tents, it says. And then they got to the place where they tied themselves to worshiping the the god Baal, sacrificing their own children. Bitter spirits. God rescued them again. As they began to go into the promised land, God told them specific things to do and, and, and peoples to vanquish and lands to take. They didn't do it. They didn't follow God's commands. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons, it said. They poured out innocent blood. They sacrificed to the idols of the land of Canaan, so much that the land on which they stood was polluted with blood. Everybody messes up. Said in verse. 40, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage, and gave them into the hand of the nation so that those who hated them ruled over them. So it finally got to this place in the, in the history of the Israelites where God was so angry, so disappointed, that he 
had left them pretty much to their own devices and removed his hand of protection so that those who hated them became their victors and became their masters, kept them in slavery. Remember we started up, remember how we started this? Remember those, this was fun, right? Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's like a hundred songs based just on that little section right there. And then if we never read further, we don't get the rest of the story. And by now, we've gotten to verse 43, and it kind of stinks. Like, man, this, this isn't fun anymore. This is tough. <laughs> And then we get to what may be the most important word in all of the Bible. And it begins verse 44. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. He regarded their distress when he heard their cry. And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Nevertheless. It's not the same as the word uh, but. You know, uh, we, we tell this like if, if you're involved in debate or if, if you're a communicator, one of the things that you learn is um, you say a bunch of, you know, you say a bunch of words, say a bunch of sentences, blah, 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 but what you've done is you've just dismissed everything you just said, because you're about to say something else that contradicts everything that you just said. So you're encouraged, especially if you're trying to convince someone of something, not to do that. Either don't say all the stuff that came before the word but, because you didn't mean it anyway, or use a different word or use a different thinking strategy, communication strategy get, to get someone, because what we're trying to do when we say, yes, so-and-so, such-and-such, yes, and that, and this, and that, but, is we're about to try and convince someone to see something different. Nevertheless, is not the same word. A better replacement in our modern culture might be in spite of, or some translations actually say, even so. Because here's the thing. We're going to mess up, right? We established that. We all mess up. And we can't undo that. To say, you know, I, well, I did, I did A, B, C, and D, but God's grace. <laughs> no. No, you see, we don't get to dismiss everything that we've done. Right? We have to deal with it. We have to understand it. We have to let it change us. We have to let it motivate us in a different way. And if we say, but God's grace, then we just sort of dismiss all that. Go, ooh, grace. Ooh, I love grace. Yeah, it's good. But that makes grace cheap. See, the, the glory of God's grace is nevertheless. Even though in spite of the fact that we mess up, 
that we have sin, that we do sin, even so, God offers us grace. Nevertheless, another place we see this is in the garden. Jesus says, uh, he's praying before his crucifixion. He says, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. But if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Kill number 11 all So, nevertheless, and then we see this. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. Certainly, God's grace is given because of the goodness of who he is. In fact, it says that for his sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So God has this, this, this love, this abundant love, this steadfast love that lasts forever, that stands forever. And he's willing to extend that. But he extends it to them in response to their cry. So, number one, you're going to mess up. Everybody does. I mean, for goodness sakes, try not to. But you're going to make mistakes. Two, remember, nevertheless. Because that is for you, too. Don't treat it like cheap grace. Don't, don't treat it like, well, I, you know, in fact, uh, in Romans it asks about this. Because grace is so great, should we sin more so that grace can be greater? I mean, I mean, if you, you know, if you're just committing a little little sins, you know, grace doesn't really look that big. It's like, it's easy to forgive that, right? Who cares? But, I mean, come on, if you, if you murder somebody, and God forgives you, that looks amazing, right? The writer says, don't do that. That's dumb. And you probably won't actually receive grace, because then you're willfully sinning, which the Bible says the Christian doesn't do. It's in First John. We don't practice sin. Sometimes we fall into it. Sometimes we choose it. But it is not our normal practice. And because it is not our normal practice, we're in a place where we can shout out to God, we can cry out to God, and hope that he will give us his grace in spite of the things that we've done. Even though We've made mistakes. You're going to mess up. Have hope. And nevertheless, your cry to God can move the Spirit. One of my favorite uh, authors is a woman named Anne Lamott. She's not for everybody, 
she's pretty rough around the edges, but if you read her story, you'll understand why she's rough around the edges. But she really loves Jesus, and she has some insights into grace that I think are valuable. Uh, Jason and I, I think you mentioned this actually last week, Jason, that pastor's conference we went to thousands of years ago. Um, she was one of the invited speakers, which was entertaining because uh, she is not a good public speaker. <laughs> She's a great writer. She's a terrible public speaker um, because uh, her thoughts are just all over the place. And uh, she looked different than pretty much everybody else in the place. You know, it was a pastor's conference, and uh, a lot of pastor types had shown up thinking it was like the conferences they'd been to before, and this was not that conference. Uh, it was intentionally going to be different, which is why we were excited about it. We're like, oh my gosh, good, because uh, I hate pastor's conferences. Um, <laughs> and so this was awesome. And so pretty much as soon as she walked up on stage, there were pockets of people with their freshly pressed uh, suits, and, uh, and they're, they're impressing everyone around them who were getting up to leave because I didn't want to hear what she had to say. And I'll be honest, there were parts of it that were tough to, to follow and hang on to. But I remember this one story that uh, has had an impact on me I've never forgotten, and it reminds me of this. She was telling a story about when she was a kid, they had uh, a wood stove, a wood cook stove, that they would cook on, and, and maybe you've seen those, you know, you, you stove the bottom, with hard wood, pieces of wood, and, and you burn that, you get the coals real hot, and it heats this big cast iron top. It usually will have some uh, circular things that are like they're burners that you can pull out and stoke the fire, move things around, and maybe move coals away because you don't want this one to be so hot and really pile some coals over here because you want this one to be really hot. And her mother had uh, been stoking the fire and had pulled one of the the burners out and set it aside because she was going to work on it. And I know you're thinking it's going to be one of those, oh, the kid put their hand on the, the no, it's not about her at all. It's about the cat. That cat uh, that had been outside and it was cold outside and the cat had come in and the cat's fur was all just standing on end. It just looked like this big fluff ball. And it walked over and it got near to the, to the stove and it realized it was warm there and it was like, oh. And it did the cat thing that cats do and it jumped up on top of the stove and just touched it for a second. Because in that second, it got right over that burner and every hair on that cat went <laughs> And they suddenly had a naked cat. <laughs> and the cat was unharmed, just really interesting looking at this point. And she said as she went through her life and she messed up a lot, sinned a lot, as she says, she said, my life was like that. Sometimes I jumped up there, and poof. But God rescued me. She said, uh, cats ignite. Thank God there's grace. Uh, you can take that to the bank. Cats ignite. Thank God there's grace. Listen, sometimes you're the cat. Jumping on top of a hot stove. Poof. Things go bad in a heartbeat. Nevertheless. Another phrase that she uses that I like uh, a lot, especially if you're a baseball fan, 
you know, if you're, if you're playing baseball or softball, one of those one of those inning games where you've got the top and the bottom of the inning, you know, one team plays, then the other team plays, one team plays, you know, the advantageous position is to bat last, especially if you're down a little bit, because there's something about that rally, you know, the, the other team's up by four or up by three, and you get the last at bat, your team's going to bat last, there's an energy that comes from that because you're down. You're going to try and rally and you're going to try and push it over the top and come, back, come from behind for the win. It's great. So everybody likes to bat last. And that's what she says. She says, just always, always, always remember that grace bats last. Whatever's happened to this point, grace gets the final step to the plate. Nevertheless, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know what issues you struggle with, or mistakes you, you've made, or you're making. You're gonna mess up. For goodness sakes, try not to. Because that's what we're called to as Christians, is to continually become more perfect, as he is perfect. Don't practice sin. But sometimes, going to trip you up. Sometimes it's going to knock you down. Remember that God responds to the cry of his people. And he responds with, nevertheless, grace. And after that, all you can do is sort of start stumbling forward again. Doing your best. Be different than who you were before. And if, if by circumstance or choice you find yourself again stumbling, landing on top of the stove, down to the last out and the last inning, thank God for grace. Grace bats last. Nevertheless. You stand up close up <clears throat> Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, may he cause the light of his face to shine upon you, may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, I pray that in each one of us you will encourage us, provoke us, uh, discipline us towards being righteous people. Lord, in those times where we're fooled by the enemy, we're fooled by our own devices, happenstance sometimes brings us to the wrong decision. And Lord, we sin. May we be a people who hates our own sin enough to turn to you and cry out for help and ask you, in spite of our mistakes, to rescue us. <clears throat> Set us back on our feet and back on our journey, Lord, that we might walk again as people of righteousness. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.